All righty, everyone. Welcome back. This is Tavis Killian, joined by Scott McNear. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to another episode of The Basin Breakdown. That means we will be taking all of the biggest news for July. Yeah, it's August, but we like to let the stories stack up. We give you the top two to three per the biggest basins in the U.S. and even areas like California and try to keep you in the loop on things that are changing in the technological, environmental, and regulatory space. So, of course, we start here with the DJ Niobrara Basins with the first article, New Rules from the AQCC Are Finally Implemented. The Air Quality Control Commission approved the rules structure in late 2021, but it took another 18 months of discussions to agree on a key component, how to measure and monitor pollutants. No other state has a federal rule or program that is comparable. As required by law, Colorado must reduce its greenhouse gas emissions from 2005 levels by 26% by 2025, 50% by 2030, and 90% by 2050. The rule is part of that endeavor. After electricity generation and transportation, the oil and gas sector is Colorado's third largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. By 2030, energy emissions must be reduced by 20% from 2015 levels. Operators will be needed to have some sort of ground monitors or measurements in order to accomplish that, and the records of those devices will be checked by a different agency. State regulators will conduct surface, fixed-wing, and satellite measurements simultaneously. And yeah, I think this is great, but it does seem ultimately super aggressive, especially for the transportation sector. How do we cut down on CO2 from cars by 90% in just a couple decades? Yeah, I'm, I know that, uh, you know, they've got those emission monitors uh, sitting on the sides of roads. Sometimes I think there's one typically kind of by I-70 and I-25. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's going to be tough, uh, you know, monitoring that. Uh, the, the oil and gas sector has already kind of baked a lot of that into their facilities due to the Quad OA and, and other federal regulations, you know. But, um, I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't see it being a huge burden on Colorado operators, especially obviously the Chevrons, the Oxys. They, they've got all those facility engineers and everybody watching that already getting gearing up for this uh, as, as the, the percentages continue to climb uh, to meet that requirement. But, um, but it definitely is a lot more, a lot more paperwork and red tape that, uh, you know, people just have to get used to uh, used to doing Let's hit the next one, Tavis, here. This is another regulatory article. The uh, COGCC becomes Energy and Carbon Management Commission. Colorado's Oil and Gas Conservation Commission will now be known as the Energy and Carbon Management Commission within the Department of Natural Resources. The hire of three engineers will be part of the commission's budget for the first two years. Additionally, lawmakers approved funding for four areas of research, including a $175,000 geothermal study. The cost of developing rules, engaging the community, which is about $50,000 annually, coordinating amongst agencies, creating databases and forms, rebranding the commission, which is again another $25,000, and updating the commission's website for $100,000 will also be funded. According to the budget note, it will take about two years to involve stakeholders and develop rules. And I guess this is a pretty interesting switch compared to what they had been doing. I'm not sure, you know, the COGCC was very focused on uh, environment and public safety, and I'm sure they're still going to do that. But I, I guess there's a little bit of a pivot to 
regulate less oil and gas and maybe mm-hmm. tie in the geothermal and the carbon sequestration that, that wasn't necessarily under that umbrella before. Right? Yeah. First it was CalGEM as they pivoted from the what Department of Oil, Gas, and Geothermal Resources to geologic energy management. Seems like if you can take out oil and gas, change it to energy, it's probably going to be the new thing going forward. But hey, the Texas Railroad Commission is safe, so don't have to change that one. <laughs> yeah. Just following in the following the footsteps of all the other oil companies that taken oil out of their name <laughs> and then our last article also kind of regulatory for the denver area specifically no more gas-powered yard equipment after a crucial regional advisory board approved the ban as a successful tactic state air quality officials are set to vote before the end of the year on a 2025 ban on the sale of push or handheld gasoline powered lawn equipment in nine front range counties with ozone problems The restrictions would apply to all counties where, according to the EPA, air pollution exceeds ozone attainment limits and endangers the heart and lung health of millions of citizens. They would not be statewide. If authorized, the ban would apply to the sales and use in Denver, Douglas, Arapaho, Jefferson, Adams, Broomfield, Boulder, Weld, and the other non-mountainous areas of Larimer County. And I know this doesn't specifically relate to oil and gas, but it does kind of encapsulate the sort of trajectory we're expected to see in the future where... I don't know. I thought the first were energy generation, transportation, oil and gas, and it looks like they're trying to make a really big impact in yard work. I don't know. It seems small potatoes to me. So uh, hopefully you get something good before a ban potentially goes in. Yeah, I, I live in Arapahoe County, and I need to go buy myself a new lawnmower, it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think you can still use it uh, if you look into the article. Commercial companies, they will not be allowed to use it. It's just the sale that's being changed. Yeah, I mean, that's still going to ratchet up your um, your cost of if you you know have someone mow your lawn or hire, hire mm-hmm. landscapers because you know they, they won't be able to get parts in those counties either to fix yep. anything. If something breaks, it's going to be more expensive. Uh, I don't know any electric powered they probably have them but i'm i'm not sure how many people drive electric powered riding lawnmowers i can tell you my electric weed eater sucks so (laughs) not super happy for this change but hey we'll see what happens when they vote yeah might not even take effect depending on how people vote where are we going next scott let's head over to let's head over to oklahoma where we can hit the scoop stack and the first article that we're going to dive into it has the headline no love for quote ethical banks When it comes to their pension funds, bond sales, and bank loans, Oklahoma's cities and counties are receiving different information about the application of new legislation prohibiting the state from doing business with banks that are thought to be antagonistic to the oil and gas industry. Because of the uncertainty, a project in Stillwater, Oklahoma has been put on hold, and the Tulsa County Retirement System has begun talking about taking unilateral action against banks that are on a list of prohibited financial companies. Early in May, State Treasurer Todd Russ published a list of companies that were prohibited BlackRock Inc., J.P. Morgan Chase & Co., Wells Fargo & Co., Bank of America, and State Street Corporation are among the 13 entities that are in that list. The Oklahoma Energy Discrimination Elimination Act, passed by lawmakers in 2022, contains the source of the list. Numerous states currently have regulations that prevent financial institutions from doing business with those who have promised to limit their exposure to oil and gas or who have plans to lessen their carbon footprints. A slew of conservative organizations have encouraged this pushback by offering sample legislation to legislators and talking points to state treasurers and other financial authorities, including those in Oklahoma. I don't know what your takeaway on this is, Tavis. I know that, that I guess this is the fallout of or the 
the results of, uh, you know, that legislation taking effect last year. Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect something to actually come of it. I thought it was more of just a headline grabber, but hey, it's implemented now, and this is going to cause, I think, a lot of headaches. I don't know if it's going to achieve this certain result that they want, but at the end of the day, Oklahoma is trying to say, hey, this industry brings a lot of money into our state. If you're not going to play ball, we don't want to do business with you, so... I guess voting with your dollars is the best way to do it, but uh, this is a pretty interesting case study to follow because I know Wyoming was toying with the idea, but Oklahoma put their money where their mouth was. In our next Scoop Stack article, we've got some suspicion of foul play. The Attorney General of Oklahoma, Gentner Drummond, stated on Tuesday that he might file a lawsuit against numerous parties for alleged market manipulation during the winter storm Uri in 2021. In the continental U.S., the ice and snowstorm resulted in approximately $200 billion in damages and hundreds of fatalities. The attorney said after review that, quote, many companies, end quote, took advantage of the storm through market manipulation and other, quote, other potentially unlawful conduct. He also continued on to say, quote, as a result of the careful and diligent review of conduct during Winter Storm Uri, I discovered that several companies reaped billions of dollars at the expense of businesses and individuals who were suffering from the crippling effects of the storm. The magnitude of this scheme is staggering and unconscionable. Oklahomans can rest assured that I will do everything in my power as attorney general to return what was taken and hold accountable those responsible. Now, uh... It does make me wonder how legitimate this is, because of course, when you have such a dramatic event like this, spot prices do have the ability to go straight through the roof, so I'm interested to see what he finds, because it would be a pretty terrible thing to do. Well, I'm also curious, you know, is this is this all energy related, or is it other type of companies that are, you know, tree trimming people where le- yeah, branches no. were down and they're gouging people for the cost of cleanup and that kind of thing? You know, you see that a lot with hurricanes that mm-hmm. come through Florida and, and the, you know, the south there. Um, the cleanup people, you know, even uh, even the Macondo disaster. Yep. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of uh, unscrupulous people taking advantage <laughs> of the situation. But um, I mean, if if it's if it's an illegal act, whether it's through price gouging on energy or through you know labor or whatever, I mean, it it's the attorney general's job to look into it and try to determine how things can be uh, made right. Exactly. Um. Well, there's uh, one more article for ScoopStack, and it's a tech-related one. It looks like Oklahoma is using AI for earthquake detection now to aid in the adoption of cutting-edge earthquake early warning technology in the oil and gas sector. Seismic AI joined the Petroleum Alliance of Oklahoma. Additionally, Seismic AI is collaborating with the Oklahoma Geological Survey to use data from the real-time statewide seismic network to apply the seismic AI early warning approaches. Oklahoma has seen an increase in earthquake activity since 2009. Currently, Oklahoma experiences 50 smaller earthquakes annually, with one to two of those being felt by typical everyday people. Quote, by collaborating with the oil and gas industry, Seismic AI can help protect critical infrastructures and operations that are vital to the industry, thereby saving enormous capital and mitigating damage, end quote. Said Benny Sasson, CEO of Seismic AI. He goes on to say, quote, Oklahoma experiences quite a few earthquakes, and our early warning could also bring immense value in reducing the profit loss as well as inventory and equipment costs. According to studies, early warnings can reduce non-structural damages by up to 50%, which could make a dramatic difference in the various sectors of Oklahoma, end quote. And, I mean, 
you know, better tracking, better warning systems, you know, letting the public be ready for an earthquake can't be a bad thing. Oh, yeah, not at all. Don't get me wrong. I feel bad for the Screenwriters Guild, but this is how I want to see AI implemented. And if it can help with those things, I have absolutely no problem. But now we move it on to California, where this article reviews just how many permits have been approved this year. According to state data, California, the seventh largest producer of crude oil in the United States, has almost completely stopped issuing permits for new drilling this year. CalGEM, the state's division for geologic energy management, has given the go-ahead for seven new active well permits in 2023. In contrast, by this time last year, it had issued more than 200. The stalling approvals mark the most recent conflict between California's ambitious environmental goals and its position as a significant producer and consumer of oil and gas. Although the number of new drilling licenses has slowly decreased since Gavin Newsom took office as governor in 2019, the current approval rate reflects a sharp and unexpected dip. Quote, it's just fallen off a cliff, end quote, Roxy Ehrman, chief executive of the California Independent Petroleum Agency, SIPA, said in an interview. According to him, the industry has more than 1,400 permit requests for new wells pending clearance from CalGEM, half of which are older than a year. So that little statistic at the end clears a lot of things up, because I remember when I first read this, I thought, ah, how much of this is guided by commodity prices? Surely there's some political play here, because it's only seven, but man, I'd be hopping mad if my permit was over a year old and I was, I don't know, just hurrying up to wait. Yeah, and you wonder if, uh, you know, how much of it is, you know, CalGEM literally being understaffed and swamped versus an actual directive mm -hmm. you know whether whether it's in writing or not of you know just drag your feet um seven is seven is a very small number davis and uh it's kind of kind of par for the course for california but it's also you know as anthony mcdaniels has told us in the past when he worked out there um prior to starting rare petro like california was had the highest linear drilled feet because they were just redrilling a bunch of those little tiny wells and mm -hmm. to have seven permits approved in 2023 is quite the the shift in attitude out yeah, there almost opposite um one seems like uh a lot of these articles we have every month in california is regulatory related but uh the next one is about uh senate bill 1137 the race the legislation prohibits the California Geologic Energy Management Division from approving a new oil well within 3,200 feet of a, quote, sensitive receptor defined as a residence, education resource, community resource, healthcare facility, dormitory, or any building open to the public. The new group, the Campaign for a Safe and Healthy California, plans to oppose a November 2024 ballot initiative dubbed Stop the Energy Shutdown, that has received at least $20 million in funding from oil and gas firms. Sentinel Peak Resources California LLC and other oil companies have contributed $4.5 million to the group that seeks to overturn Senate Bill 1137. Since the Secretary of State certified the industry-backed proposal, the law has been put on hold. So we've got a bunch of stakeholders entering now. At this point, it looks like it's just going to be a big lobbyist battle. Yeah, I think uh, you're probably right, and you know it's it's going to be just like it was the last time it was on the ballot out there, as well as you know what happened here in Colorado. I think too with the uh, the setback ruling, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of a lot of campaigning and a lot of a lot of advertisements coming up here for all the Californians out there. Mm -hmm. 
And then for our last article, I don't know how many of you are like me who are young in the early 2000s and maybe caught a midnight commercial that sounded a little something like you or a loved one may be entitled to financial compensation. Well, those guys are now going after oil. Certain attorneys have had significant victories against asbestos and narcotic makers, and they are now pursuing oil and gas businesses. On behalf of local governments seeking compensation for the effect of climate change, four legal firms that focus on corporate malfeasance have launched cases against oil and gas giants in the last nine months. The papers show that new parts of the legal community are paying attention to and investigating in climate liability litigation, which was previously primarily the province of environmental firms and government lawyers. Quote, climate litigation is increasingly seen as a commercially viable practice as legal pathways clear and the evidentiary base continues to grow, end quote, says Benjamin Franta, a senior research fellow and the first director of the Climate Litigation Lab at the University of Oxford. Usually it was just California attorneys involved in these types of cases, but firms have been showing interest ever since the Multnomah County case in Oregon as it targets a specific anomalous event. Now, if those of you listened last month, you'll remember we talked about, well, it may have been two months ago, this heat wave in Oregon. And now that it's not just general climate change, but people are going, oh, Storm Uri or this heat wave in this region, lawyers are feeling a bit more... Uh, We'll say optimistic about winning cases against oil and gas companies, but I really don't see how this can stand in courts. Yeah, I mean, you know, it kind of depends on the judge, I guess, and which yeah. court you're in. But this is unfortunate, uh, in my opinion, because, you know, the only I think the only people that are really going to make any money off of this is the the, the lawyers oh, yeah. performing this as well as the insurance companies that everyone's going to have to start, you know, getting climate insurance or something down the road. <laughs> Um, and that's just going to raise the price for everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we could have some pretty terrible precedent established. So keep an eye out, see what the news says. But I think that wraps it up for all of our crazy news in California. What's up next? Let's hop over to the East Coast and hit the Marcellus. First article in that basin is Chesapeake receives A grade for natural gas. The Marcellus operations of Chesapeake Energy Corporation have been recertified for its natural gas output, which during the first quarter of 2023 averaged about 4.4 billion cubic feet of gross natural gas per day. The company received an A- score from Equitable Origins EO100 Criterion for Responsible Energy Development, which emphasizes environmental, social, and governance ESG performance, and an A under the MIQ Methane Emissions Criterion. Based on methane intensity, business procedures, and the use of methane detection technologies, the MIQ standard is evaluated on a sliding A through F scale. The MIQ certification offers a validated method for monitoring Chesapeake's dedication to reducing methane intensity across all of its natural gas assets and supports the company's target of net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2035. I mean, good for Chesapeake for, for hitting that, because I actually did recently see an article where... Uh, Amazon and some other companies that had pledged uh, <laughs> net net greenhouse gas emissions, um, you know, they they weren't on pace to hit that, and they said it was no. because those companies had changed their goalposts. So the fact that they were able to to get an A minus and and meet the meet meet the uh, threshold that they were targeting and are on track, that's good for Chesapeake. Yeah, good for them. And unfortunately, this is probably just what the future looks like. Gonna have to factor in another organization, another check another balance and uh, just learn to live with it next there's a fracturing protest at ohio's largest state park 
Activists are attempting to enlist additional support for their campaign to ban fracking in Ohio's state parks. They are opposing a new legislation that mandates Ohio's public lands be taken into account when proposals to drill for oil and natural gas are made. Quote, Make no mistake, the decision has been made without the consent of the public to whom these lands belong and against the desperate warnings of scientists that our continued exploitation of fossil fuels will send the human race to its grave, end quote, said Aaron Dunbar of Mid-Ohio Valley Climate Action. A law authorizing the state to evaluate requests to drill beneath state-owned properties, such as parks and wildlife refuges, was signed by Governor DeWine in January. Since a 2011 law made it possible, agencies have held the power to authorize drilling projects. Nevertheless, that law only said that agencies may lease state properties for the extraction of oil and gas. Now they shall lease it according to the new law. Since then, a procedure for considering drilling requests on state land has been developed by the Oil and Gas Land Management Commission. Although the commission is keeping the names of the companies private, 12 have already been submitted. So one word can make a whole lot of change. Again, that doesn't mean it's going to happen, but at least these areas shall at least uh, consider it. But I, I did include the quote because I think it was funny. Yeah, the lands belong to the people, right? But what about the, the mineral rights? I mean, that technically, if it's state-owned, I mean, <laughs> you know, there's revenue for the state there, too. Yeah. Um, That's all I got. Yeah, I mean, the, the that that quote was a little bit uh, dramatic, in my opinion, that, yeah. that oil and gas is sending human race to its grave. Panders but, to the um, emotion. But, you know, that's also, you know, the angle that that active, act, activist group is uh, is working on, on the general public, too. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you got to expect that coming from them, I yeah. suppose. Um, all right, let's head over to the Powder River in Wyoming, where Governor Gordon applauds the first lease sale of the year. <sighs> About time. <laughs> in Wyoming, the first oil and gas lease sale by the Bureau of Land Management in more than a year brought in about $14.7 million, or $1.8 million more than the last sale. Of that income, 48%, or almost $7 million, will go to Wyoming. In the statement, Governor Mark Gordon praised the lease sale, but pointed out that it only amounts to, quote, not even a quarter of a loaf, end quote. He also continued to say that, quote, the fact that our producers participated to the degree that they did is a credit to the Wyoming oil and gas industry, and their efforts mean Wyoming will continue to provide energy for the nation, even though they do so with increasing pressure from Washington, D.C. to give up, end quote. And it's Good to see that there's a finally a sale that came through. I know that um, there were some people that were upset with the Biden administration when this happened as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that's that's the job of the BLM is to evaluate and, you know, determine what it should be drilled responsibly and what shouldn't. No, absolutely. And I mean, I do. I agree with you wholly. And I do also see Governor Gordon's frustration because what that's six, seven quarters of no lease sales and potentially $50 million that could have gone to the state government. So yeah, that money could have gone a long way. But what's important now is that the lease sale happened. If we can opt for uh, maybe one more lease sale before the year end, I'm going to be pretty happy. I'll see that as progress because I understand that a lot of money was being missed out. And <laughs> after adjusting the uh, royalties and some of the other rules, not a ton of people were interested. So it's good to see at least some new sales. But our next article, 
Wyoming is planning a massive wind project. Yeah, we're going to 180 real quick. Government representatives from the federal and municipal levels have started construction on the Trans-West Express Transmission Project in the sagebrush desert of southeast Wyoming's Carbon County. Wind tore through flags as U.S. Secretary of the Interior Deb Haaland talked to a crowd about the 730-mile power line. A wind farm is also being built in the same region, which is along the I-80 corridor and is renowned for high winds of more than 20 miles per hour. About a million residences in areas like Los Angeles, Las Vegas, and Phoenix will eventually receive that electricity thanks to the power line. It is just one way the Biden administration is hoping to achieve 100% clean energy by 2035. And hey, I guess we already export a lot of conventional energy to those areas, so why not export some renewable as well? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, Wyoming does have the infrastructure in place. They're already sending, you know, coal-powered energy, natural gas-powered energy to to California, Las Vegas, Arizona, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, might as well tie in whatever other energy you can. It will be interesting to see, you know, as as these wind projects have been developed across various states, including Wyoming, I'm sure, um, a lot of the residents nearby are not super happy with it. Yeah. So um, we'll see We'll see if anything comes out from that or if uh, if it's still – sparsely populated enough that that it's not upsetting too many people in wyoming mm -hmm. and scott i do have to warn you this next article is more of a well it's just kind of goofy it's a highlights a social thing and <laughs> it's to be taken with a grain of salt all right let's dive into it here wyoming mother is upset about oil and gas cartoon a mother from sheridan wyoming claims that a cartoon depicting an evil man running a quote fracking well that causes earthquakes is part of a larger issue with children's media that demonizes the oil and gas industry. The Rainbow Rangers, a troop of girls with vibrant hair and a unicorn, are trapped in a cave when the entrance collapses due to an earthquake in an episode of the show called, quote, The Big Dig, end quote. The heroes eventually find a way out of the cave and head to the epicenter of the earthquake, which turns out to be a, quote, fracking well, end quote. <laughs> Despite the fact that Despite the fact that what is portrayed as a fracking well is actually a drilling rig, the heroes quickly discover that a wicked man is operating the well to make a lot of money. The villainous fracking well owner snorts insane laughter as he gushes about how much he enjoys, quote, the smell of fracking in the morning, end quote. The owner of the fracking well is finally persuaded by the Rainbow Rangers to switch out his gas-producing well for a solitary wind turbine. The antagonist of the story, however, tries to trap the children in a booby trap he purchased with all the money he made from fracking because of the terrible person that he is. So, I mean, that's I, I don't know how you came across this, Tavis. I, <laughs> I stumbled across it because, yeah, the article goes into how the mom is upset. Her family, they worked in energy for a long time. They like to talk about it. And she caught her kids watching this cartoon just on, you know, Saturday morning, eating some cereal. And it was just full of. I have no problem if people want to make this cartoon, but there was just lots of stretches of the truth and straight up lies. Like the terminology wasn't correct, a fracking well. There was a deer in a cave. I didn't know deer live in caves, but they went in and it collapsed because of they look into the wall and there is what they call a fracking pipe about, you know, 10 feet underground that they can see with their x-ray vision. So, I mean, this is why we make this podcast as well. Promote the conversation. A lot of people would watch that cartoon and not understand that it was a stretch of the truth truth or an oversimplification. So the better we can uh, educate these people on things, the better they understand what's going on. And 
you don't have to, I got to say, they didn't even tear down the rig. They just put a, a windmill on top of it to generate power, which I'm sure regulators wouldn't be happy with or anyone else that had to look at it. So just keep the conversation going. Well, you're right. You're definitely right about that. Um, you know, keeping people informed is, is very important. And I'm glad that the Wyoming mother was, uh, was able to speak out and, and, you know, at least get her voice heard as well. But on to some, well, we'll say more professional articles. We'll be taking it to the Permian, where Ring Energy has sold its Delaware assets and eyes New Mexico divestitures. In order to reduce debt, Ring Energy recently sold its non-core footprint in the Delaware Basin. Additionally, the Permian Basin E&P wants to sell off holdings in New Mexico. The Delaware assets that were divested have recent average production of about 240 barrels of oil equivalent per day at 85% oil. Ring received around $7.8 million in the net revenue from the deal. The agreement went into effect on March 1st, 2023, during the second quarter, and Ring is now exploring to sell operated properties in New Mexico as it seeks to reduce the debt and concentrate growth activities in the primary operating regions in Texas. At the end of 2022, Ring's holdings in the Delaware Basin had more than 18,000 net acres and an average production of 279 barrels of oil equivalent per day, according to the Securities and Exchange Commission's filings. So, looks like we're seeing some more merger and acquisition news, which, I mean, given current trends, is probably because people want out. So, we'll just have to see where that goes. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, Ring... If they've got the running room on their inventory of the other parts of Texas, then, you know, what's wrong with getting rid of some non-core acreage, paying down some of your debt, um, ramp, getting ready to ramp up and uh, drill the, the stuff that you think is uh, good quality rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, I mean, there have been a lot, of, uh, a lot of assets changing hands in New Mexico lately. So I think that, uh, you know, as some people want to get into the Permian, uh, others want to get out of New Mexico and focus on a little bit less regulatory heavy Texas areas. For our next article in the Permian, the EPA has announced a $1.3 million settlement for Callan Permian LLC. A consent agreement and final order, CAFO, was issued by the U.S. Environmental Protection Area to Callan Permian LLC for emissions from tanks, flares, and other equipment that the agency discovered using a helicopter fitted with specialized infrared cameras that locates hydrocarbon leaks. Callan LLC will take corrective action at 13 of the company's oil and gas facilities in the West Texas Permian Basin. This is expected to reduce emissions of volatile organic compounds, VOCs, by more than 1.2 million pounds. VOCs have a role in the creation of ozone smog, which can lead to health issues like cancer, bronchitis, lung infections, and asthma. The settlement also contributes to the mitigation of climate change by reducing methane emissions by an estimated 4.6 million pounds. And, you know, the, the regulators are getting more and more strict with those flyovers. And when they see venting or flaring that's unauthorized, um, you know, from the, the facilities that, that the EPA has been those regulations have been in, in effect for several years and it's it's unfortunate that Callan got caught up in this, but uh, you know, it sounds like they they pretty much had to go through through all the the legal battles and that's what the settlement was. Yep. Yeah, especially with the advent of drones, I just imagine that this is going to continue to be a big issue. And then for the last Permian article, you may have heard of the sage grouse, and some of you may have even heard of the sagebrush lizard, and it has now been proposed as an endangered species. 
The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service gave the domestic oil and gas an unwanted present that redirects President Biden's ongoing war on oil and gas to the Permian Basin. The dunes sagebrush lizard has long been a source of worry and debate, but the USFWS has determined that it is necessary to classify it as an endangered species under the Endangered Species Act. Ben Shepard, president of the Permian Basin Petroleum Association, PBPA, expressed surprise at the decision in an email. Quote, we are extremely disappointed in the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service decision to again list the dunes sagebrush lizard as endangered in the Permian Basin in spite of the successful conservation efforts on the ground for over a decade and that less than two years ago approving a, cons a conservation plan for the lizard that all parties agreed would conserve habitat. So, I mean, Scott, you probably know a little bit more about this since you had some exposure down there. Yeah, I definitely remember back in 2011 through 2013 when I was in the field in the Permian Basin seeing seeing these headlines. You know, they were, they were doing a lot of studies and I, that's no joke. They've been they've been working on this for over a decade. And, um, you know, it's, it, I kind of side with the, uh, the president of the Permian Basin Petroleum Association where, you know, the conservation plan is in place, they're making progress. And then, you know, the, the U S fish and wildlife service just decides to put it on the endangered species list anyway. And if it is truly endangered, um, you know, then it obviously needs to be on that list. But, uh, from what I remember, um, you know, and, and I don't know what's happened in the last, you know, several years but a lot of the studies that were being done were were being done in times of year when it was difficult to find a sagebrush lizard out there you know in uh, december and january looking, <laughs> looking on the ground for seeing how many were running around yep. so as long as they're they're not uh padding the stats if you will in order to get it on the list um you know it should be there but at the same time it sounded like there was a plan in place and and they didn't let it follow through to see how how to conserve the animal and its habitat. Mm -hmm. And while the Permian is the golden child of Texas, now we're going to move it to the Eagleford. What do we got going on? Well, in the Eagleford this month, Callan has wrapped up a Delaware bolt-on and Eagleford exit. On July 3rd, Callan Petroleum Company completed the previously announced acquisition of Percussion Petroleum Operating 2 LLC in the Delaware Basin and left the Eagleford by selling the company to Ridgemar Energy Operating LLC. The A&D was estimated to be worth $1.13 billion altogether. The Delaware assets of the percussion group were acquired by Callan for a total consideration of $249 million in cash and roughly 6.3 million shares of Callan common stock. In the Eagleford, Callan sold to Ridgemar, which is backed by Carnelian Energy Capital Management LP, for $551 million in cash. The transactions have an effective date of January 1st, 2023, according to the press release issued by the company on July 5th. Post-closing changes are also still possible. Quote, the bolt-on percussion transaction improves our Delaware inventory depth and also lowers our cost structure, end quote, Joe Gatto said, president and CEO of Callan. So another Eagleford M&A acquisition, divestiture, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Um, you know, that's kind of goes back to the other the other article we were talking about in New Mexico like if you if you think your core acreage is uh in the Delaware and you you don't need the running room in the Eagleford then give it to somebody else that wants it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, I guess that's good news for Callan. EPA finds them 1.3 mil, then they liquidate some assets and generate 1.1 bill. Looks like the financials work out there. 
For the second Eagleford article, another flyover event spies Eagleford flares in South Texas. An investigation published by the environmental charity found that oil companies in Texas squandered $1.7 billion worth of natural gas by flaring in 2019, accounting for approximately 12% of the gas used in the state that year. The goal of the Environmental Defense Fund's recent research and flyover event was to demonstrate how much gas that contributes to global warming is flared and released into the atmosphere. The EDF targets oil corporations who regularly burn off gas instead of using it or selling it. Because natural gas prices are frequently too low to support new pipelines or other means of conveying surplus gas, which is discharged as a byproduct when operators extract it from the earth, flaring became widespread in Texas. And, I mean, what are the regulations like in Texas at this point? Because I, I didn't think they just had just open season for flaring, but if you don't have access to a pipeline, can you get rid of it that way? I mean, I I haven't been on the facility side in Texas in a little while, um, so I don't know how much they've changed, but... Um you know, it, it's a lot more lax than other states like mm. North Dakota or New Mexico, obviously, um, Colorado included as well. Um, but uh, you're not supposed to flare indefinitely. Uh, yeah. some, some people, I think, still do, but you do have a flare permit. You know, everything should be approved through the Railroad Commission. And um, the goal would be at some point to tie into infrastructure. It's obviously mm-hmm. a waste of resources to just flare it in order to, to produce oil and I, I understand that it is necessary sometimes but uh but at the end of the day you are still leaving money on the table that yep. you could sell if you if you have the infrastructure there and that pretty much wraps up the uh the eagleford tavis let's hit our last basin head up north to the williston where hess has increased its quarterly distribution hess midstream lp under the new york stock exchange ticker hesm said on July 24th that the General Partners Board of Directors approved a quarterly cash payment of $0.6011 per Class A share for the quarter ending June 30th, 2023. In comparison to the first quarter of 2023, the payout indicates a roughly 2.7% increase in the quarterly distribution per Class A share for the second quarter of 2023. In order to meet its goal of at least 5% growth in annual payments per Class A share through 2025, Hess Midstream has increased its payout level per Class A share by approximately 1.5% in addition to the quarterly increase of 1.2%. Quote, we continue to use our financial flexibility to deliver consistent and ongoing return on capital to our shareholders and have increased our distribution level for the second time this year, end quote, said Jonathan Stein, Chief Financial Officer of Hess Midstream. And, you know, sorry. And, uh, you know, Tavis, this this is uh, one of the options that uh, all companies have to decide. What are we going to do with our, our free cash flow? Do we give it back to our investors? Do we put it into the business? Do we, you know, buy back our own shares? Like, this is just, you got your options, and they've made promises to their shareholders. And that's, you know, if you want your stock to uh, continue to go up, you got to follow through on the promises you make to your investors. And for our last article of the Williston Basin in this podcast, oil field deals are clipping oil and gas budgets and drilling. Lynn Helms, director of the North Dakota Department of Mineral Resources, the DMR, stated on July 14th that, quote, growth is slower than one would think at $74 per barrel of oil, end quote. Oil and gas deals have been reducing drilling budgets in North Dakota, the third largest oil producing state in the United States, and are likely to reduce future production. 
2,000 less barrels per day were produced in North Dakota in May compared to April, according to figures from the State Industrial Commission, which manages oil and gas resources while drilling rig counts have remained relatively flat month over month into July, just July, even as oil prices have risen. And so that's good that the rig counts at least holding steady there because, you know, in the Permian, other places, it's just been absolutely dropping. So hopefully they continue to do as they do and slow that production drop, but that's just par for the course right now. Yeah, and you know, um, this this will shake itself out, uh, especially as commodity prices hopefully continue to rise. Um, but, you know, you think about it, you make a big purchase, uh, you, you know, millions, billions, whatever, uh, in that in, in that area. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, if, if you, you've got your budget set, you're not going to just go plow money in right away. You probably want to, you know, get your feet on the ground, understand what you just bought, and then decide where you're going to develop that acreage. And it, I think it'll, I think it'll happen. It just uh, obviously isn't happening as fast as the uh, uh, director of uh, the mineral resources in North Dakota would like to see it happen. Exactly. Sometimes the incentive isn't there for things to move as quickly as we would like, but Hey, given that things are a little slower right now, you can use this time to become the best energy professional that you can possibly be. And a good way to start doing that is to subscribe to this podcast. We dole out a whole bunch of information between Basin Breakdown, Monday Madness, other segments, and even periodicals on the website. We've just released a periodical looking at the Canadian oil and gas industry that actually taught me a lot. I didn't even have any idea. So you may want to check that out at www.rarepetro.com. While you're there, some of our favorite news sources we have pushed to the website with their biggest articles. So like I said, no excuse to stop growing. We love to put this information out and it is absolutely free. So go ahead and follow the podcast and uh, you just may see Scott and I next month. You got anything else, Scott? Nope. That wraps it up for this month. Let's, uh, Finish out the summer strong, and uh, hopefully we got some more good news to talk about next time. This has been Tavis Killian and Scott McNear with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.